Let's bow once more for a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we truly do have victory in Jesus, our Savior, uh, our Redeemer, uh, and now our friend because of his righteousness, because of what he accomplished on Calvary. Uh, And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of uh, actually studying as it it penned in those words the somehow, uh, because we can see as you uh, have given us your word just how salvation takes place. Um, how it be, uh, began uh, before the foundation of the world as your eternal plan, uh, that you as the God who knows all, who sovereignly over all, uh, put into uh, action a plan from uh, eternity past. Uh, and Lord, I thank you for our time in song this morning as we are reminded of uh, everything that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds uh, that we may think through what we will hear today, uh, that we would internalize it and make it part of who we are each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles this morning, um, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1, so you have our context for our text this morning. Uh, and uh, I'd like to uh, uh, reread verse 4 once again, and we're going to be looking at uh, a phrase there towards the end of the verse. Uh, But it says there, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and there is uh, what I'm going to be calling an actual purpose uh, in being chosen by the Father for salvation, and it's right here, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this is the purpose uh, in being chosen by the Father for salvation, And uh, I'd like to define a few words here uh, in relation to this holy and blameless, uh, and two, um, help you to see what it is and what it is not. Uh, Because uh, some may take this, you know, uh, section out of context or think that somehow uh, we are able to be holy and blameless before God, which um, as we have been taking our time to walk up to this point uh, where we are in verse four, we find out that salvation belongs to God. Uh, But that word holy there comes from the Greek word hagios, which literally means set apart or separated to God. So uh, it says here that we, uh, even as God the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. In other words, separated or set apart for God. Okay, and so, uh, you know, that by itself is an amazing fact. That's the victory in Jesus that we're talking about, where we have uh, been set apart or separated to God. Uh, but Paul doesn't just leave it with the word holy, uh, because he adds the word and blameless. Or I guess it's actually two words, and blameless. Uh, and that word blameless comes from the Greek word amnos, uh, which literally means unblemished or faultless. Now, who is willing to raise their hand here this morning and say they are faultless? <laughs> I didn't think so. Uh, and if you are, you need to have your neighbor pull your arm back down. Um, see, this is the, you know, Paul used both of these words, you know, two different Greek words to give us a full picture of what, even as he chose us in him, for salvation before the foundation of the world, there is an outcome in salvation. There's something that Christ gives us victory in. 
And that is, uh, you know, that we are not only set apart, because you can set something apart from something else and have them be the, exactly the same thing. But see, God in uh, uh, Christ has set us apart from the world, you know, and, and in the verses that I shared last week, talked about the, the sheep and the goats, right? On how God separated them. Well, we're not just separated to God. We are separated so that we can literally be unblemished and faultless. And the question is, well, is how does that happen? You know, do we somehow, you know, separate ourselves? Do we, you know, ourselves, you know, present ourselves faultless before God? Well, let me read, if you, you flip forward a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul um, speaks, you know, in relation to uh, being holy and blameless or, or without blemish uh, in the passage that uh, every husband uh, should have memorized uh, and should personalize uh, is there in verse 25 and following. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, so we see that, you know, God's uh, love uh, in Christ for the church that Jesus Christ gave up his life. And this is how husbands are supposed to love your wives. Preview of what's to come. Um, and you'll notice there in verse 26, it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So who's the one doing the presenting and to whom? It says right there that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So here in chapter five, we're seeing a little bit more of a, a you know, some uh, narrower strokes in our, our, you know, portrait here of what salvation is. You know, we cannot be holy and blameless in and of ourselves. The only way that we can be holy and blameless is in Christ, the one who presents us as the church to himself in splendor. So all that power, all the ability to, you know, separate to God and to be faultless has its source in Jesus himself. Um, in First Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, um, Peter says this, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, which, you know, we can acquire silver and gold. We use it to purchase things. And unfortunately, uh, the, the currency we now have is worth less than it was six months ago. It doesn't go as far. But verse 19, you know, goes on to say that the way that we are you know, ransom from our futile ways that our forefathers have is not by trying to manipulate or to buy, you know, salvation or, you know, righteousness or somehow an edge with God. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, that's the reason why only Jesus could accomplish victory is because he was without blemish or spot. He was faultless. He did not sin like we do. So the question is, is how can we become holy and blameless before God? Well, we have the answer. 
It's right there in the text. Look at verse 4. The way that we can become holy and blameless before God is that he, God the Father, chose in him, Jesus, the precious Lamb of God without spot or blemish. That's how we become holy and blameless. It's not by doing good things. It's not by trying to be on your best behavior. It's not by coming to church. Anything that we would place value on in and of ourselves, we have to remember is that the only one who can qualify us, the only one who can pay the ransom, the only one who can take the wrath of God upon himself in such a way that he can free us to be separated to God and unblemished and faultless is Jesus Christ alone. This is what we call positional holiness or positional sanctification. Now, I'm throwing around some big words today. I'm going to help define them for you because it's important for us to understand, you know, these uh, truths that that give us a a broader picture of what salvation is, is all about. And so I'd like to talk to you for a few moments in relation to the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, uh, which is utilized in the Bible, is actually a legal term. Uh, It's the act by which God the Father, because of the finished work of his Son on the cross, declares us righteous. So justification is God declaring us righteous, completely releasing us from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah. And that happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. So the just judge, the one who is sovereign over all, is the one and only one who can declare us righteous. And he just doesn't do it as an act of, you know, a uh, like a human despot would say, you know what, Uh, I absolve you. You are no longer, you know, guilty of this. No. The way that God the Father declares us righteous and completely releases us from the penalty of sin is because Jesus paid the price for our sin. It's not just words coming out of someone's mouth who has authority. This is coming from the God who said, this is the way it absolutely has to be. And any deviation from that is a lie, is falsehood. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. It says, and the free gift, which is speaking about salvation in Christ, is not like the result of that one man's sin. Okay, that's speaking about Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Did you notice that? One. Because all it takes is one. Whether in thought, word, or deed, one thing automatically you know, brings God's condemnation upon us. And that's what's so freeing about you know, Romans chapter 8, what, verse 1. There is now no condemnation to those who are doing their very best. No. In Christ Jesus. Do you see what Christ has accomplished? Do you see the importance of the Son of God doing what he did? The verse goes on to say, but, okay, so here's the clarifier, the free gift following many trespasses, because there's been a whole lot more than just one sin since the beginning of time. And none of you have, you know, not, you know, you haven't just sinned once. I know that for a fact because we're all the same. 
when it comes to being, you know, before Christ, slaves to sin. It says, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. It brought, you know, the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and his blood which was shed that purchased salvation uh, to all who believe the ability for God to declare us righteous because of Christ. It's his righteousness that we get. Bless you, by the way. <laughs> Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. It says, uh, But the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, because we don't do righteous works compared to a holy, holy, holy God. We may do good things compared to other people that are bad or worse than we are. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he... So who's, who's doing this? God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So again, we see God the Father, you know, doing the work and putting it into play, sending his son, Jesus Christ, because it's God's plan. It is the only way by which sins can be forgiven and for us not to get the just deserts of our sinful lives. To experience, you know, eternal suffering and pain uh, and separation from God. Verse 7 goes on to say, so that being justified, okay, declared righteous by his grace. Okay, nothing about man doing something. We're justified by God's grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, the more you read and dig into Scripture, the more and more you see that salvation has nothing to do with man being able to acquire or attain or to do something to somehow, you know, help in the salvation process. God the Father, through his Son Jesus Christ, opens our eyes to spiritual things through the Spirit so that we may respond to this gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And what happens in this, this act of what, the, you know, what's called justification, this declaring us righteous, is that instead of us having an imputed sin nature from our father, Adam, that's, that nature is replaced with an imputed righteousness. That's where we get our righteousness from. It's from Jesus Christ. So that's justification. So now is sanctification. This is going to take us a couple more minutes because um, there are three aspects to sanctification. Uh, And uh, justification, let me back up one moment here. Justification happens at the moment of salvation. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are declared righteous and you are fit for eternity because you have been, you know, clothed in Christ's righteousness. It is good news. So sanctification is a biblical term to describe a believer's deliverance from the power of sin. So justification completely releasing us from the penalty of our sin. That's why it's judicial, because our, our you know, account, which is full of red, has been credited and made clean by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. 
Sanctification delivers us from the power of sin. Okay, and there's three aspects that we're going to look at briefly this morning. And the first is positional. Uh, and it's akin to justification because it happens at the moment of salvation. Okay, what we find out in Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and verse 11. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this positional sanctification, this positional holiness that we get that happens at the the moment of salvation frees us. It breaks the chain of, you know, being enslaved to sin. Doesn't mean we don't still struggle with sin, but we sin is no longer our master. God is. And really, if you want to back up even more in case you're going that direction, God's master overall anyway. But in relation to our sin before God, something that happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ, one is that we are declared righteous so that we are completely released from the penalty of our sin because Jesus paid the price. But also positional sanctification is where uh, we are delivered from being a slave to sin. And that's what Romans 6, 6 is telling us. So that you would no longer be enslaved. But there's another aspect in relation to sanctification. uh, And that's practical. Um, And practical um, sanctification is the work by which the spirit of God that resides in us is making us holy like God is holy. Okay, And so when we think about what Paul has just told us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. What he is speaking to is not practical sanctification, not practical holiness. What he's speaking of is positional because it's something that we cannot accomplish. We cannot break the, 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 the uh, we can't break the bounds of our bonds. That's the word I want. Uh, bonds of being a slave to sin. Only God can. Okay. Because not only do we have a sin nature from one man's sin, Adam, but we also choose to sin willfully because it's part of who we are. So Paul here in verse 4, when he says that we should be holy and blameless before him, we know that the only way we can be holy and blameless before God in relation to the one who chose us in him is through the very power of God. And it happens at the moment of salvation. So what Paul is talking about here is positional sanctification, not practical Because practical sanctification is a lifelong pursuit. And know this, you will never reach perfection this side of heaven. That's another aspect of sanctification we'll get to in a moment. But let me read, because Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 14, uh, you know, pens this beautifully. So we understand. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but I, uh, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
And I don't think we have any Olympians in here other than Olympian leaders. And this is a verse that you should know. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the the verse of the Olympian program. And see, what it does is it speaks to the practical aspect of us, through the power of the Spirit in us, pressing on to, as it were, make our salvation our own. We don't save ourselves, but what we do because we love God, because he's given us his spirit, and we have the fruit of the spirit you know, within us because of the spirit of God you know, being in us as the temple. We have the ability to do something we could not do when we were enslaved to sin. And that is press on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Becoming Christ-like because we love our Savior, we love God, and God gives us the Spirit so that we can begin to become, as it were, more holy like he is holy. Not for salvation, but because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is helping us to fight and get those victories even over not only salvation itself, but over the battles that we find ourselves facing each and every day. And the third aspect of sanctification is that of permanent sanctification, or another term that we use is called glorification. And this is when God finally removes sin from all of his children. Guess what? That does not happen here. That happens when we step foot into the place where we are truly citizens. And Paul goes on in that same chapter in Philippians chapter 3 to describe this to for us as well. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and is from uh, it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so permanent sanctification is something that will happen, you know, on the other side when we have uh, bodies fit for eternity. But it's at that moment that God finally removes sin because there is no sin in his heaven. It will be pure and holy and blameless, just like he is. And what, how, do we, how do we make that? How do we, we find ourselves being able to be into God's presence? Jesus Christ. Because he clothes us in the very righteousness that we need to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. So those are the three aspects. Positional which is what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that happens at the moment of salvation, that we're no longer slaves to sin. Practical, which is a lifelong pursuit because, you know, the Spirit is helping us to become more Christ-like as we, you know, sin less and look to, to be obedient to God and his word more and more each day. And then permanent, the final thing that we find as we are in the presence of Almighty God for eternity, where he removes sin forever. What a glorious day that will be. And one other aspect here is that the final outcome of our sanctification is being conformed to the image of Christ. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, there is a, uh, a couple verses that has been called the golden chain of salvation. And listen to what it says there in chapter 8, verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, 
in order that he may uh, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I could preach an entire sermon with no problem on these two verses because they are jam-packed. The thing I want you to notice, because as we're talking about sanctification, is that the final outcome is that we would be, you know, conformed to the image of Christ. But this golden chain of salvation here in Romans, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a couple aspects in relation to how the wording goes. Is One, it's completed. Because you'll notice every word for new, predestined, uh, called, justified, and um, glorified are all in the past tense. So salvation is completed. Because salvation was, you know, uh, God's plan before the very foundation of the world. And we're seeing it unfolding in time. But not only is it completed, it's an unbreakable progression. Because as you'll notice, he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is the sovereign God of all who is, you know, working out his plan of salvation in each and every believer. And that's the other key. Do you notice all the he's? Doesn't say me. Doesn't say, you know, I, I will do my best to have this come about. God is the center of all of it. God is the one who carries it out. That's why it's a gift. That's why it's so beautiful and amazing. And what I'd like to do for the last moments we've got together this morning is, you know, we've established that, you know, justification and positional sanctification happen at the moment of salvation. But then there's the practical sanctification, that lifelong pursuit. And so I'd like to spend our last few moments this morning asking, how do I live a holy life? This is not a holy life to somehow appease God for salvation. It's not, because that's positional. God takes care of that. But what he does give to us through the Spirit is the ability to pursue righteousness and no longer sinfulness. To become more like him. To be holy as he is holy. Another way you could ask the question is, how can I overcome sin in my Christian life? And so I'd like to take the last few moments giving you some things to remember in relation to practical sanctification, becoming holy as God is holy uh, as he continues to eradicate sin in our lives. Uh, and the first thing that you need to realize, and you need to listen to this because this is key, because this is even key in relation to salvation because we always try and do things on our own, is that we first must realize that apart from the Holy Spirit in us, it is impossible. Did you hear that? Apart from the Holy Spirit that is inside of you, which God gave as a seal until the day of redemption, it is impossible for us to personally live a holy life or to overcome the sins that so easily entangle us. We need to go to the very power source that has 100% victory over sin. 
You know, think about, you know, and from this aspect, would you go and you're in the store or if you're going and buying a car, would you go and buy the car that has a 100% guarantee or one that that is as is, you know, you're on your own, this could be a lemon and you may put more money into it that you're gonna, than you're going to purchase it for. And they're both the same price. Yeah, see, there's the key. You're going to take, I mean, uh, unless you're just a, a glutton for punishment and to say, you know what, I like having everything fall apart on me. You're going to take the option where it's 100%. So this is the key. If you want to find yourself living in this lifelong pursuit to have victory over sin, to live a holy life, you need to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Stop striving in your own flesh to try and do these things. You need God's power. The same power that is victorious over death itself. So let me give you a few. Don't freak out. I won't even tell you how many are. I'm just going to bullet through them. First is to remember that God is greater than all. First John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's key for you living the Christian life is to remember that God is greater than all. You're not. That's why you need to do it in God's power. Second is to remember the power of God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. See, we underestimate the power of the word of God. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but, you know, how many of you went through the entire week and didn't crack open your Bible? You know, sometimes things come into play. The thing is, is if you do not feed yourself spiritually, then you are setting yourself up for failure. You wouldn't go through a whole week without eating. I kind of felt that way when I was experiencing COVID, but that's why I lost 17 pounds. Remember the power of God's word. And if you need a reminder, online is all of the midweeks, you know, devotionals, which go through the entire Psalm 119 that can help you be reminded of the power of God's word in your life for all things pertaining to life. Or if you want and don't want to look at me and listen to me, read Psalm 119. Third, remember that we are all a new creation and dead to our former way of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, why not? Because something miraculous has happened because they are no longer living for the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer because we have spiritual eyes that can see who Jesus Christ is and how amazing it is that he would offer himself for us. Verse 17 says, therefore, because all that is true, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, part of the, the mental gymnastics that we have to play, part of even, you know, deep down in our soul is to know and to have the, the strong conviction that we are no longer the same individuals. We are a new creation. 
We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. So is there anything that you cannot overcome when you go to the one who is sovereign over all, who is almighty God? The one to whom no one, he doesn't answer to anyone. Remember that you are a new creation, dead to those former ways. Fourth, remember that God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can be victorious in living the Christian life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because why? You are no longer enslaved to sin. You have the ability through the power of God to live a, uh, a life worthy of the calling. Verse 17 goes on to say, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For they, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then skipping down to verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, we don't live that way anymore. So don't go back into it. Because if you're going back into it, if you're dabbling in it and deciding that, well, you know what, this really makes me feel good. Or if I, if I don't do this, people are going to make fun of me. The problem is, is that you're looking at it through sinful eyes. You're worried about man, the one who isn't even able to take care of his own soul. As opposed to looking to the God who can give you the ability to see beyond all those things. Fifth, remember that we must present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Because that's what's happened. You've been born again. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are alive in Christ Jesus. It says, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So there is a part you play in practical sanctification where you have to make sure that you are focusing in the right direction. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Not going and just doing whatever you want to do because you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are no longer slave to those things that the world holds to. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all those things are no longer part of who you are because you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Present yourself as an instrument of righteousness because the righteousness of God is part of who you are. Finally, remember that we must stir up one another to love and good works. See, there's a reason why we gather together as a church family. And why it's important that we get together as often as we can. It's because we have the ability to encourage one another. Because you know what? You're going to have down days. You're going to have days where you doubt. You're going to have days where fear is going to overcome you. When you're anxious about this, that, and the other, whether it's it's work or whether, you know, we're going to go into this fall and, and de the Delta variant of COVID-19 is going to, you know, take us back to where we were, you know, nine months ago. 
The thing is, is that we have the ability to stir one another up, to encourage, to give accountability. And you can't do that if you separate yourself. You know, and the, and the example we always use, you know, that with, with, with teens, it's really easy for them to see, is that, you know, you've been at a fire pit before. And what happens when you separate the coals? They turn black. They lose their heat. But if you gather them all together in the center, what happens? They become red hot. They put off heat. And they, they provide light. And that's why we need to stir one another up. That's why we need to get together. And Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 tell us, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So in other words, embrace the, everything that you are now because of Christ Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of the king. Live like one. For he who promised is faithful. So you notice that the writer of Hebrews puts that, that little caveat in there. God's faithful. You need to be faithful as well. Because God promised and God does not go back on his word. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, when this was penned, guess what? That day is knocking on the door. So it's saying all the more. And I can say from a, a, you know, a standpoint of where we are as a nation, in a post-Christian culture, we need to be doing it all the more. So that means not just coming to church on Sunday. That means coming to Sunday school so that you can, you know, take the time to know, you know, right now we're learning about church history. We're learning about all those who came before, some of which did not stand on the truth, but many who stood on the truth. They weren't supernatural individuals. They were individuals that understood the power of God in them and stood on the truth no matter what. It means coming to prayer meeting because you know what? We need to be praying for one another because the, the enemy does not give up. And whether it is in relation to your work, whether it is in relation to your family, whether it is in relation to your marriage, whatever it may be, that battle is real. And you need to be coming together for the accountability of prayer, but just to, to know that there are others who are going to God and communing with him in prayer because they believe in the power of God. It means finding some place for you to minister and to serve within the church. And Ellington Baptist Church is not lack when it comes to that. There are committees, there are youth groups, which right now there are three of them. And you know what? You don't need to know all the ins and outs. You don't need to think that, well, you know what? I'm so far removed that I couldn't possibly. You know what? That's, it's an excuse. Just, just label for what it is. God is looking for willing vessels. And God is still teaching you. I can honestly say by the power of God that I am a better pastor today than I was when I first started pastoring. And it was God's call on my life because I did not seek and desire to be a pastor. But God opened up the doors and showed me the call. And I've been trusting him ever since. And I've had my ups and downs. I've had the challenges. But you know, I had good people around me that I could go to that could pray for me, 
that could encourage me, that could remind me. And the interesting thing, you know, as we think about things, and I can tell you all the problems that you end up facing in life, and with this I'll close, all the problems you end up facing in life is because you've forgotten some aspect of who God is because you're not in the word of God and you're not, you know, personalizing the promises of God. Because, you know, when I counsel people, I don't have any fancy thing that I start, you know, laying out that's, you know what, if you do step one and step two and step three, you know what I do? It's dependent upon what I'm counseling about. I take them to the word of God so that they know what they're supposed to do. And nine times out of ten, you know what I'll hear? Well, I already know the Bible says that. Okay, so where's the disconnect? If you know the Bible says that, then believe it and make it part of who you are. And, and you know, by the power of God, make the change. Stop living as if you're here and start living as you are here. That's the difference. The Father chose us to be holy and blameless before him. God took care of the salvation part and gives us a holiness from his son. But yet there is a practical holiness that has nothing to do with salvation itself. It has everything with becoming more holy, like God is holy, and showing God that you'll love him because he sent his son. Because he freed you from sin freed you from all the trappings of this world, so go to him, live for him, be a light in darkness, because the world is going to continue to be dark, because apart from God, it is darkness, because he is light. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this reminder. We thank you that uh, you are truly an awesome God. And Lord, I pray for each and every one here today that they would stop striving in their own strength, that they would tap into your power, which is almighty. It is without limit. It cannot be exhausted. uh, And it will accomplish everything that uh, is good and right and just and holy. And so, Lord, I pray for each believer here today that if they are are living in sin, if they are acting as though uh, they do not belong to you and have put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would shake their world, turn it upside down, and help them to see the importance of living for you in an evil and fallen world today. In Jesus' name, amen.